0: looked at people kneeling at the altar like I have for all my life, really. But it's a wonderful place to spend some time at the altar in a fundamental Bible-believing Baptist church. I believe God's aware of this area of our buildings, perhaps more than any other part in the room. And he notices and he cares and he's concerned. I know the man that wrote that song that she just sang and played. And a tragedy that befell his home. I thought about it. I prayed for him. And I got a call this afternoon about five thirty, maybe quarter to six, of a sad, sad, sad tale of I, in my estimation, one of the finest missionaries I've ever met in my life and a similar tragedy has befallen the path of his household you know sometimes we get kind of uh, I don't know if it's selfish proud whatever you want to call it we think everything's going so great and we're so wonderful and nothing could ever befall our path that would be wrong and we look down at people that go through situations it's a terrible Terrible characteristic to have. Our hearts ought to go out to people. And that grace that she sang about, I thought about it sitting there. If this building was filled with sand, I don't know how many grains of sand that would be. But if each one of them was just a particle of the grace of God, that's what's been extended to us that grace, those wonderful grains of grace that God has bestowed upon every one of us. It ought to humble us. It ought to bring us to a place of worship. And uh, I've been blessed tonight to be here. I could go home right now and be happy. Maybe you would be too, but I think I'll preach to you a little while if you don't mind. I thought about... I. I, I I don't. I think I heard the song, the family, uh, the preacher's family, uh, just saying. But I had, I never really had heard. And it was, it was such a descriptive picture to me: sunshine at midnight, and flowers in the snow. Sunshine at midnight, and flowers in the snow. And if you've ever been through anything in life, you know a little bit about that. He'll shine a spotlight. He'll bring a flashlight. He'll bring a a candle in the darkness of your night. And the roses can bloom in the dark places and the difficult hours. And I thought of Brother Brian's uh, mother. I know a lot about cancer. I know more about cancer than I wish. I, I wish I didn't know what I knew about cancer. I know what it does to families. I know what it does to mothers. My mother got cancer and died two years to the day that it was diagnosed in her body. Died of just a 45-year-old girl. But I am so thankful this evening that our eternal destiny as children of God is determined in the reality of heaven. This is not a pipe dream that we believe in. It's not a hopeless hope. It's not, it's not the figment of some man's imagination. It is this wonderful book of God that tells us of that place called heaven. Hallelujah. I would remiss, be remiss tonight if I didn't thank folk for uh, their kindness. I don't know what the love offering is. A brother handed me an envelope. I stuck it in my pocket i don 't know anymore I you know everybody needs money. I like money, but I get home sometimes i haven 't even opened the envelope i don 't even care anymore because I know god 's going to take care of me. He always has i don 't think he 's ever going to let me down i 've let him down a thousand times, but he 's been ever faithful to me. When I get home from meetings, a lot of times my wife asks me two questions, not necessarily in this order. How many were saved and what was the love offering? I don't know which she's more concerned about, frankly, but uh, she's a good girl. I appreciate the choir singing all through the week, all the specials, uh, the meals that have been provided by the church and by people in the church. I'm grateful for that. And uh, thank God for the fellowship your pastor and I have enjoyed, and uh, just being with him and no is a lot of fun. There, it's almost being like being with my own kids, because uh, Jordan's older than the preacher, and he's the same age as my middle boy Andy. So they're just a couple of kids I'm staying with over there at the house. <laughs> it's a blessing, and I enjoy it very much. And I thought. I did have a bad thought, Sam, about the youth choir. Here's all these teenagers up there and one old old bearded guy up there in the choir. How'd you ever get in the youth choir? Shame on you. Sneaking up there, I guess. trying to stay young. It ain't working. And it won't work. I can promise you that right there. That's a blessing to be here. I appreciate Brother Ellis being here, too. He's a, a friend and been, uh, enjoyed his fellowship and his wife and the times that we've been together over the years. It's been a blessing. And I appreciate being here with you folks here at Bible. I want you to look in your book, if you would, really two places. I want you to look at First Peter uh, chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. I want to read just three verses. I'd like you to somehow maybe uh, just let them settle in your mind and heart. I'm going to preach from the Old Testament. But I, I want you to think about these verses while I talk to you tonight about what I feel like the Lord would have me talk to you about. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. I like this next phrase. Reserved in heaven for you. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, I'd like to have you turn to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 50. And I want to talk to you tonight about what I feel like the Lord would have me to discuss for your hearing. And there in Jeremiah, chapter 50, the Bible says, in verse 17, that Israel was scattered. They're torn, they're devoured, they're broken up, they're unsettled. They're in great difficulty, and that that sounds like what happens to a sinner who has been beaten up by the world and the flesh and the devil. And just to conserve a little bit of time, let's look at verse 20. In those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, they shall not be found, for I will pardon them whom I reserve. Our Father in heaven, if somehow you would allow me tonight, To pull up out of the depths of my soul what lies there. And I don't normally use this word in the pulpit, but share it or give it or extend it to the folk that are sitting in these pews tonight. We all, we are all sinners. For all of us have sinned and come short Of the glory of God. There's not a one of us. If our personal history. Or family history. Was somehow projected on a. Screen in front of this audience. That we'd even stay in the room. We'd run. We'd run out of here embarrassed. Perhaps even by the thoughts of today. Or the activities of our hands. Or the words from our lips. But I'm thankful tonight that our sins have been forgiven. And we have reservations and we've received a pardon. And I pray that you'd help me to somehow convey some of that to the hearts and lives of our listeners. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The last little phrase in that 20th verse says, I will pardon them whom I reserve. A pardon is a wonderful thing to have. We have in our country, according to the Constitution, Article 2, Section 2 of the United States Constitution, a president can offer federal pardons. A federal pardon is this. A government decision to allow a person who has been convicted of a crime to be free and absolved of that conviction as if she or he were never convicted in the first place. A president has that power. In my lifetime, in most of yours, you can look back, President Ford pardoned. Mr. Nixon. In recent years, President Trump pardoned Sheriff Arpaio out in the state of Arizona. A pardon can be procured before a sentence is carried out, as Mr. Ford did in regard to President Nixon, or before the incarceration has been effected, as in President Trump pardoning our pale in our case theologically now I, I, I'm a little embarrassed but I never had looked up the word saved in my life until I put together these thoughts Now I have an 1828 dictionary and that's closest to the King James Bible words that I know of but in that old dictionary it says this in regard to to theologically what happens when we're pardoned, to be delivered from the power and consequences of sin. The first definition, that was about the third, the first definition says to effect successfully full delivery of someone or something from impending danger. I am thankful tonight that I have been delivered from the effective danger of damnation in a devil's hell. Glory to God. In World War 1, Colonel in the Welsh Guard the Welsh Guards was Edward Prince Edward who had become the King of England. He went one day to visit 36 wounded warriors. The strength of their youth had been devastated. Their lives had been laid on the line for king and country. These men were brought back to England and taken into a ward. And he was went in there to speak with these men. He saw 24 of them. He commiserated with them. He... Uh, talked to them, he tried to be an encouragement to, to those soldiers, and he was let out. Well, he saw those 24 men, but when he had come into the wards, they he was told that there were 36 men that were there that had been wounded seriously for king and country. He said when he walked out, he said, now if I'm not mistaken, there were Only 24 in there. You said there were 36. I I would like to see the other 12. Someone with enough clout said, Sire, you know, uh, those uh, men are too far gone. They are far worse than this. I thought maybe he said, No. I want to see them all. He was taken into another ward where lay 11 sore wounded soldiers. The stench was stifling. He was moved to tears at the appalling sight. He kindly spoke to each man, those 11 men. He walked out of there and he said, that's only 35. There must be one more. I want to see him. They said, your highness, no, he he is... He demanded the authorities acquiesced, and he went into a room where lay a disfigured man, covered with a disguise of wounds. He really was not prepared for the sight that he saw. This young man had borne the brunt of a fiery explosion. The stench of death permeated the room. his wounds were beyond belief. His eyes had been blown out. There was no facial figures whatsoever that would be recognizable. His legs were burnt beyond belief. His uh, left arm was gone. He had just a little stub of a right arm. No eyelids, no hair, no nose, no lips, no limbs, save that little stub of a right arm. King Edward, Prince Edward, soon to be king, was introduced to that corpse-like wraith. His eyes twitched, and that little stub seemed to lurch in a salute. Edward looked at the man. There was no communication, but he stooped over and kissed the brow of that wounded warrior, that dying and in tender tones talked to him as best he could. I thought about this when I read that story 2,000 years ago. The Prince of Life on Calvary's Hill stooped down over a wicked, vile mass of humanity and placed the kiss of redemption on fallen humanity, he, the Lamb of God, who was slain from the foundation of the world, paid our sin debt in full. For all mankind, God was moved redemptively there in man's behalf by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Our sins have all been paid for. Now, I want to take a little search tonight for sin, if you please. I'd like to take a very thorough search. Whether done by devils or angels, friend or foe, no stone unturned, no expense deferred. We'll be relentless tonight in our pursuit. We'll ransack the loftiest mountains and scour the lowest valleys. We'll comb the sands of endless deserts and walk through the labyrinth of the deepest mines. We'll pierce the tangle of the darkest jungles. We'll penetrate the silence of the deepest snows. We'll search the dizzying, dizzying heights of the highest mountains and dredge the depths of the deepest sea. We'll climb atop, as far as we can go into the heavens, we'll rattle the gates of the lowest hell, the immensities, the infant, uh, the, the infinities, the eternities will all be sifted and scanned. Where are our sins? I will say tonight, and I trust to prove it from the book of God, it will be a futile search. No hound of heaven, no sleuth of hell will find them. Where are my sins? Anxieties may be raised, concern may be crushing, but where are our sins, child of God? We'll look to our book. We'll look at two of the Old Testament prophets and then the sweet psalmist of Israel, David. And then two very conspicuous apostles to find the answer. Initially tonight, we'll consult with Micah. He was called a minor prophet, but he had a very major message. Where are my sins, brother Micah? He said in chapter 7 and verse number 19, he echoes these words. They cast all their sins into the depths of the sea a little bit about geography Marianas Trench off the coast of the Philippines is the deepest depth of the oceans of the world it is thirty six thousand and sixty nine feet at its deepest depth that is deeper in the earth than Mount Everest rises above it and the Bible said our sins are in the depths of of the deepest sea. There is no one going down there to find them. They are buried, gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Hallelujah. You said, now, Brother Green, you know, I've read the, Old, the New Testament, and it says in the book of the Revelation in chapter 21 that there one day there will be no more sin. You think when that happens that they go down there and they'll find them? There ain't nobody going to look, thank God. Then we'll take some counsel from the most evangelistic of all the prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah. Where are my sins, brother Isaiah? Quickly he responds in Isaiah 38 and 17, Thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Paul said it this way one time, forgetting those things which are behind. I am thankful tonight that our sins are in the sea of God's forgetfulness, and that's good enough for me, but he has put them behind his back. I'm not going around to look for them. They're not there. They're gone, gone, gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Jeremiah 31 and 34 said he would forgive them and remember their sin no more. I'm glad God has a poor memory. He forgets. You know, we look at forgetfulness as a negative thing. When it comes to God, it's one of his great attributes. He has forgotten our sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to pay our sin debt. Remember them. Remember them no more. I don't know why, people, you can answer the question yourself in your own life. I don't know why. Why, when you ask God to forgive your sins, that you turn around and look to see whether or not they've been forgiven or not. I heard a preacher one time say about some particular negative or sin or uh, attribute in his own life. He said, I have asked God a hundred times to forgive me of that particular thing. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I have never asked God a hundred times to forgive me of anything. I ask him once, he forgives it, it's over with. And I'm not dumb enough to remind him. God, help us. You ask forgiveness, it is gone, it is forgiven, it is past. Then I want to savor just a moment with the psalmist's thought. David, or the psalmist, whoever wrote Psalms 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He has taken our sins to an irretrievable outpost, never to be trashed in Old Testament times, now that the world is far smaller international jets, the fastest flight ever taken, and the longest distance, almost 12,000 miles, took place here just a couple of years ago with a Boeing 777. It was a one-time jet. They may have made some sense, but it was the very first one. It left Charleston, South Carolina, and flew all the way to Hong Kong, China in just 11 hours or so. Twelve hours or so long long time flying long way I mean you couldn't get any farther from this part of the globe and that part of the globe than that trip took place that's a long ways our sins are as far as the east is from the west they don't connect you know you know what I just learned this about, I think, two weeks ago. You know what the farthest east state in the Union is? Alaska. Those islands, you know how Alaska goes off like that? They are in the east. They're so far east. Now, they're at the western part of the east. But see, when you get to the east, you're going to the west and the west of the east. You're never going to find them. I don't know if you believe that or not, but I heard that. Now let's cross, let's cross the great chasm of 400 years of deafening silence. And we'll ask impetuous Peter, where are my sins? He said in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 24, who his own self. Talking about Jesus. Bear our sins in his own body on the tree. See, Jesus did not leave the sin question to anyone else but himself. He died with them that we might live robed in his righteousness. Hebrews 1 and 3 says, he by himself purged our sins. My favorite verse in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21. He was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That we might become what he is. Because he became what we were. He became sin that we might become saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Peter got that thing right. Amen. Finally, we'll approach the brilliant student of Gamaliel, the prolific penman, the powerful apologist, the apostle Paul. We'll ask him, where are my sins? Brother Paul, he said in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 14, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. What did he do with it? Nailing it to his cross. Hallelujah. He took our sins. He bore them in his own body. They were nailed to the tree. Glory to God. He Blotted out the indictment that was against us. Never to be found. There's no device that can breach the cleansing wave of the blood of Jesus Christ. Where are our sins tonight? They're in the depth of the sea. They're behind his back. They're a distance insurmountable. They're born of the sainted scapegoat and nailed to his cross. How could such sins ever be found? They're saturated beneath the cleansing wave of the blood of Jesus Christ God's son think of it tonight our sins nailed him to the tree it's your fault he died it's my fault in divine retaliation he wrenched the hammer from the hand of all rules and laws and regimen and indictment and every warrant for our eternal arrest and incarceration in the infernal prison house of the damned. He spoiled all principalities and powers and he put a song down in the depth of the child of God, in the bottom of the heart of the redeemed. My sin, oh the bliss of that glorious thought Oh, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, it is a futile, fruitless, failed, and foiled search to find our sins. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. A lot of years ago, I was asked to preach in a a two-day, maybe three-day Bible conference just across the border into West Virginia in a small church, maybe 50 to 100 people. And I preached with a man. I had never met him before. I'd heard of him. I've I've never seen him since. We've communicated some over mutual interest. His name was Garvin Walls. He pastors in Tennessee, if my memory's right. This anecdote happened when he was 50 and his brother was 54. His 50 year old brother was an invalid, never uh, really had all of his mental facilities had uh, a lot of physical impairments. And so he lived with his parents his whole life. His mother and dad, their mother and dad, died within a matter of just a few days, just apart, just a few days. And at the funeral of the second parent, whether it was mother or dad, I don't remember, the family gathered over at Garvin's house and, uh, you know, how people fellowship after funeral, and there was some food there and everything. And after being there a while, someone asked, he said, where, where is, and he called his brother's name. They began to look. He wasn't in the house. He wasn't in the yard. Someone jumped in the car, went over to the cemetery. He wasn't at the cemetery. Someone went to the church. No one was at the church. It dawned on someone's mind to go over to the family home. They went into the house and there he was in his bedroom. He was sitting on his bed. He'd soiled himself. He Couldn't take care of himself in that manner. Garvin said, I took my brother by the hand. And we walked out, got in the car, I took him to my house. He said, I took him into the bathroom. I removed those clothes from his body and put him in the bathtub, turned on the shower. and He said, I showered my brother like my mom and dad had to do his entire life. He said, I dried my brother off. He said, I went and got a pair of my pajamas. He said, I put my brother into my clothes. I uh, took him into a spare bedroom. All our our children were gone. He said, I pulled back the covers. He said, my brother, without even being told, just climbed him. He said, I pulled the covers up to my brother's chin. I leaned over and I kissed him on the forehead. He said, I called my brother's name. And he said, you're going to live with me now. I'll take care of you from here on out. Brother Walls said, when I walked out of that room, I went outside, and I put both hands up in the air. He said, I don't know how many laps I made around that house shouting, praising God. He said, because I realized what I had just done for my brother in the physical realm God had done for me in the spiritual realm. He picked me up in the filth of my sin. He cleansed me. He robed me in His righteousness. He kissed me on the brow with grace. And He said, You're mine now forever. You'll stay with me. Hallelujah. I am glad tonight we are clothed and cared for by our Heavenly Father. The last time I talked to Brother Garvin on the telephone, he called me. I don't think we've talked three times in our life on the phone. He called me and said, my brother died today. He went from my house to the Father's house. That's a wonderful thing, child of God. We've got mansions to go to. And Jesus. We've got golden streets to walk on. And Jesus. We've got gates of pearl. And Jesus, who is the pearl of great price, by the way. We've got robes of righteousness. We've got loved ones who have gone before. My soul. The older I get, the more people. It's just every other week, every week, every week, two times, some two times a week, going off the glory line. I thought of what happened today, or I was surprised of today. Death would have been a better story. If someone would have called me and said, brother, so-and-so died today, it would have been a better story than I heard. I'm thankful tonight. I don't care what you have done as a, Child of God, after you got saved, God will forgive you. Our Heavenly Father has an abundant supply of grace and mercy. He knows our frame. He knows how foolish we are. He knows how inept we are. He even knows how dumb we are. He knows us. He knows all about us. And He loves us. And He cares for us. He's concerned about everything in our lives. Which brings me to this thought. There ought to be a determined, a determined decision in the lives of every child of God to serve him faithfully. Faithfully. Daily. Hourly. You know, if you could get every every hour right, after 24 of them, you got a day right. And after 24 of them, you could maybe have 48, and you could have a week when everything went right. God, help us just to be faithful moment by moment, day by day, faithful to the God of heaven that reached down in grace and birthed us into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary. I don't know about you, but I love him tonight. I love him tonight. I worship him tonight my eyes have shed tears today you know i don't want to be critical of anybody who gets in a mess my heart broke today god help us to have care one for another i mean in this body of believers right in this room i wouldn't be surprised every once in a while somebody does something dumb Somebody does something wrong, get involved. It's easy to look down your nose at people and say, yeah, I'd have never done that. You better be careful about that foolishness. won't be long, you'll be eating your words. God help us. I don't know, we've already had one invitation, but maybe tonight as our brother Sam sings this song of invitation, maybe you'd like to find your place at the altar. I said it the other night, and I thought about it. I'd be worried about me as a Christian if every once in a while I didn't find myself at the altar. Humbly, humbly. There's a humbling thing about kneeling at an altar. I got bum knees. It's hard to get back up. But I do it. It's good for us. It helps us. Just to worship God and thank God that our sins are gone. They're gone. Not because of what we have done or are doing, but because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary. So stand our feet.